One summer when I was growing up, my sister and I had a horrible babysitter. She was not a pleasant person to be around. She didn't really do anything. She didn't pay attention to us. And I've been lovable my entire life, so I really don't understand uh, why she didn't want to engage with us or, or do anything or do anything with us. And one day we were outside, and I was playing some baseball with some, some friends from the neighborhood, and it was hot out, and so I decided, all right, we're, we're done playing. It was time to go get a drink. And I discovered that we were out of Gatorade. But then I remembered I had to go to the grocery store with my mom. I was drugged to the grocery store with my mom. And while we were walking the aisles, I saw a new Gatorade mix, which is over by the Kool-Aid. And then I had a negotiation with my mom. It reminded me of like a hostage negotiation, and just in order to get an item into the cart. But she finally agreed, and so I was able to put the Gatorade mix into the cart. And I remembered we had that, and so I went and I filled up the. I, I went and I scooped it in to the bottle, and then I filled the bottle up with water, and I put the lid on the bottle, and I took a drink, and it was disgusting. And the reason that it was disgusting was because I didn't know at that time that you had to shake it up. Or that you had to stir it and able to get the concentrate to go all over the bottle and that that way the flavor would go all throughout the bottle. All I did was take one drink and it was absolutely disgusting. And if the babysitter was worth the money my parents were paying her, she would have been there in order to shake it up or stir it up and tell me what was going on. But because she wasn't there, I just poured it out and drank a Coke. It was much better. Now, in life, as people that follow Jesus, you have everything you need to live the most fulfilling, joyful life that you could ever experience. At the moment we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within us, comes and resides within us. So God is with us, and he equips us, and he challenges us, and he encourages us, and he comforts us. And we have every tool that we need at our disposal to live the life that God would have us live at the moment, at the moment we make the decision to follow after Jesus. And yet, sometimes what can happen as though we have everything within us, we don't act like we do. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we conclude our look at First and Second Peter by taking a look at Second Peter chapter 3. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us today on the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once it's downloaded on your device and installed, there's a feature called the events feature within the Bible app. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. Again, that's zip code 54201. And there, Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you, today we're going to be in the New Testament book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, as we conclude our look at 1 and 2 Peter this morning. If you're joining us via the stream, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below as we look at the conclusion of 2 Peter. Remember that 1 and 2 Peter were written by the disciple, the apostle Peter, and they were written to a bunch of people that made a decision to follow after Jesus. And because they made the decision to become Christians, to follow after God, they had to leave their homes, their families, and their lives behind. They experienced persecution. And the reason they were persecuted is because of their faith. They were suffering. They were experiencing hardship. 
And out of, the, out of that context, the Holy Spirit gave these words to Peter, and he wrote them two letters. And today we look at the conclusion of the second letter in 2 Peter chapter 3. We start in verses 1 to 3, where we read these words. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. He says, for those of you that follow after Jesus, remember this. Remember the promises and commands of God. Remember the promises and commands of God. As you go through life, remember the ways that God has worked in your life. If you ever reach a season where it just feels like God is distant and he's really far and it seems like you're not connecting with God on the level you want to connect with and it seems like God's absent, maybe he's not listening to your prayers you feel like or, or maybe you just don't feel like you have the intimacy with God that you desire, here's what I would challenge you to do. First and foremost is stop and don't beat yourself up for that but instead make it a point to look back at your life and identify the moments that God has shown up. Remember the moments that God has shown up and worked in your life. Remember the situation and the obstacle where you thought there is no way I'm going to survive this. There is no solution. I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do. And remember how God showed up and intervened in that moment and worked in that circumstance in that situation. Remember how God has worked in your life individually and then historically and universally. Look at the ways that God has worked. Look at Scripture. Look at what Scripture tells us. Remember all that God has done. Remember the immense love that God has for us, that He sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for our penalty and to remove our rebellion so that we could have a restored relationship with Him. Remember all that God has done. Remember the promises in the commands of God. You have everything that you need at your disposal through what God has done in your life, through God's revealed heart to us, Scripture, literally the words of God. This is available to us. He says, as people that follow Jesus, you have all of this available to you. It's in your life already. Your job is to shake it up. Your job is to not grow complacent. Your job isn't just to act like, oh, okay. But your job is to constantly shake yourself, stir yourself. Remember that God is at work in your life. Remember how God has worked in your life. Remember how God has worked universally and historically. And keep that at the forefront of your mind. And why is this important? Well, he goes on and he tells us, because there are going to be doubters and there are going to be critics. There are going to be doubters and there are going to be critics. And the doubters and the critics will look at this world and they will ask the question, how can a loving God exist when this is what we see? And our world and society is at the point where it's, it's not even monthly or weekly. Somebody could have that conversation with us. It's now unfortunately daily that the events that unfold of every single day, the critics can look at and they can say, where is a loving God when this takes place? Where is a loving God? Why wouldn't he show up? Why wouldn't he work? And we can see that on a daily basis. And oftentimes that's when the critics are the loudest. But even more damaging and even more distressing can be those times where we don't have to look for it out there. 
but when it comes and it impacts our life. And most of the times, the critics at that juncture aren't going to yell and scream. They're going to come with a whisper of how can the loving God allow you to go through this? Where is a loving God when you receive this news? None of us are immune. And this is nothing nude. He goes on and he tells us exactly how they'll operate. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's the argument. If God's true, where is he? If God is real, then where is he? You see what goes on in our world on a day-to-day basis? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Where is a loving, good God right now? Where is he? Okay, and even if God does exist in the midst of all of this, is he so powerless that he can't do anything? First question is, where is God? And the second question is, why isn't he at work? Is it because he can't be? Or is it because he's sadistic? This is the argument. And Peter says, you need to be shaken and you need to be stirred. You need to remember what God has done in your life. You need to remember historically and universally how God has worked. Because the doubters and the critics are coming. And these are their arguments. And this is what they'll say. And he goes on. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He says they're wrong and they're mistaken. And here's why they're wrong and here's why they're mistaken. Because one, God is eternal. And he's not bound by our timelines. That God is eternal and he's not bound by our timelines. And maybe you found yourself in the situation where you look at everything that's going on in the world today and you scratch your head and you say, God, where are you? Why wouldn't you do something about this? How long are you going to let this play out? We grow frustrated or confused when it seems like God is absent. And it seems like God isn't doing anything about situations that he could easily take control of. And we're given the answer here. And the answer is, God doesn't owe us an explanation. Because God's timeline is not our timeline. And yet, if I'm honest with you, the most disappointing times I've found in my relationship with God. And I'm willing to bet some of the most disappointing times you've found in your relationship with God are when I am frustrated with the fact that God is not working in a time frame that I think God should work in. And sometimes that disappointment, in some people, not in everyone, but in some people, that disappointment gives way to doubt. 
That because we're disappointed that God doesn't show up and solve the situation that we find ourselves in, in the way we think God should solve the situation, and God doesn't intervene in our circumstances at the time and in the way we think God should intervene in our circumstances, we grow disappointed. And sometimes that disappointment in some people can lead to doubt, to the place where you wonder, God, do you even love me? God, are you even out there? God, what is going on? on. You might find yourself there today in the midst of a valley, in the midst of trying circumstances that if it were up to you would have been solved a long time ago. And it makes no sense to you why God isn't working on the time frame that you want him to work. And I so wish, I so wish that I could tell you every time you encounter that in your life, I so wish I could tell you that if you just give it some time, I know that it doesn't make it any easier, but if you just give it some time and you're just patient, you will be able in two or three or five years to look back and see why God didn't work in the way you wanted him to work or in the time frame you wanted him to work. I so wish I could tell you that you're going to be able in just a couple years to look back and understand why God did what he did. Here's the hard thing. Sometimes that's exactly how it plays out. But sometimes we never get that answer. And sometimes we're just left with a conclusion that we don't love and that doesn't make sense to us. And the reminder that we're given here is that God doesn't owe us an explanation and God doesn't have to operate according to our time frame and according to our timeline because God is eternal. And that's the time frame and that's the timeline that he operates on. We are not. Average lifespan is about 77, 78 years now. We are far from eternal. And so the things that we encounter in our lives rise to the level of importance and we want them to be solved and we want them to be fixed right now. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in the midst right now of disappointment with God because He isn't operating on your time frame, or even, quite frankly, if you find yourself wrestling with doubt right now because of a situation or a circumstance in your life where God did not work in the way that you wanted Him to work, I just want to encourage you to remember that God doesn't owe you the explanation. And I know, that, I know that's not pleasant. I know that's not great to hear, but I just want to remind you, it isn't that God's unloving, it isn't that God doesn't care about you. It's just that our time frames don't align. God is very much at work, and you may not even ever get to the place where you recognize what he was doing and why he was doing it, but you have to understand that God loves you more than you can even fathom. He has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life. So this frustration that we can experience universally, but also personally, because we feel like God isn't working in the timeline and in the time frame that we want God to work. Well, Peter, in explaining this to us, goes all the way back to creation. 
He goes all the way back to creation, and he talks about the way that God created everything. And then he talks about the fact that we've rebelled against God. And rebellion became so prevalent that from the time there was creation until there was Noah, in that time frame, rebellion became the mode that everyone would operate according to. So much so that in Noah's time, there were eight people, eight in the entire world, who wanted to honor and glorify God. Noah and his family. That's it. Eight. And as a result of the rebellion, as a result of the fact that nobody wanted to honor and please God, God sends a flood. He spares Noah and his family. He says, we're starting over and we're going about this again. The flood recedes. Noah and his family are told to go and to, to fill the earth. They're, they're told exactly what Adam and Eve were told in the garden all over again. And God makes a promise that because he's judged the world this way, he will never again flood the world. And so instead, the next fire is going to be judgment. Now, I recognize... I recognize that you might not love this idea. You might, it might be hard for you to wrap your mind around it. How can a loving God, how can a good God judge people? Well, there are standards. God created everything, and his standard is one of perfection. And anybody that doesn't meet that standard of perfection fails to meet the standard. God got to create everything. Now, God still loves us even in the midst of our rebellion, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our rebellion so that we could have a restored relationship with our creator who we rebelled against. But we will all one day give an account for our rebellion, and the next judgment won't be via water as the flood was. The next one will be fire. And you might, again, struggle to wrap your head around this. Well, why would God choose to use fire? Is he just some sadistic, awful God? What's, what's the meaning of this? What's the point? And here, I just want to remind you of some fascinating things of the beautiful world in which we live. On the beautiful world in which we live, the Earth's crust, the surface layer that we know, that we live on, the Earth's surface layer is the crust. It is between 3 and 44 miles deep. And it represents 1% of the world's volume. That's it. Though it's all the surface of the world, the crust only represents 1% of the world's volume. The next layers form the mantle. And the mantle is 1,800 miles thick. 84% of the earth's volume is represented in the mantle. And check this out. Near the crust, the mantle of the earth, it is 1,832 degrees near the crust. But as you go down further and further into the earth's mantle, what you find is that near the earth's core, the mantle is 6,692 degrees near its boundary with the core. And the core is 15% of the earth's volume, and it comes in at 9,800 degrees. Degrees. It isn't just that God's some sadistic being that's just going to rain fire all over everything. No, what he's going to do when he judges everything at the final judgment is he's going to burn up everything through what's already present. And notice this, we're not just talking about hell here. We're not just talking about hell here. Verse 7 says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. 
The heavens, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. So why? Why would God bring about fire? Why would God do this? Bring about fire in this earth. Burn up everything. Bring about fire in the heavens. Why would, do this? Why would God do this? Because he's going to bring about a new heaven. He's going to create a new world. And everything is going to be restored once and for all as it was originally designed to be. That is actually the promise of this. That we can look forward to this This act of God, this judgment of God. And how can we do that? Only through a relationship with Jesus, but that God has a plan and he has a purpose in mind. And we go on, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now we look at everything that's going on in our world and we might say, God, yeah, work, God, Come, come and just let's blow this up. Let's go. We have a relationship with you. Restore everything as it should be. Burn this up. It's the old one. You're creating a new heaven. You're creating a new earth. We can be with you forever. We can, we can, we can be next to you as you rule and reign forevermore. God, do that. And what happens for people that follow Jesus is sometimes that desire for what God has promised and that which is to come becomes so prevalent in our minds that we, we get impatient. We're like, God, work, especially when we see all that's going on on a day-to-day basis. But here we're reminded that God isn't bound by our understanding of time. That God is eternal. And He has an eternal perspective. This past Monday, I snuck into my first Green Bay Packers shareholder meeting uh, because I, I'm not a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. I'm, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Uh, I, do, I do appreciate them. But I, I felt like it's a, it's a northeastern Wisconsin thing to do, so I had to go to the shareholder meeting and, and some Friends of mine are, are Packers shareholders, so they invited me to the meeting, and I, I went to the meeting, and we were there in Lambeau Field, and we walked around some of the different sites and listened to some of the meeting, and then we were reminiscing about different Packers team, and, and I got to thinking uh, a few years ago when Aaron Rodgers spelled out relax for everybody, when things were not going well at the start of the season. The year was 2014. Uh, the Packers started one and two. People were freaking out. As a Browns fan, I think that's a fantastic start. One and two, we'd take that about every season, quite frankly. Uh, but people in Green Bay were, were freaking out. And Aaron Rodgers one day with the media said, everybody just needs to relax. And, and he spelled out relax. And that Packer team would go on to be 12 and 4. They would lose in the, in the NFC Championship game in overtime. But for a team that started one and two, there's no reason to panic. They had it all under control. You might look at the world today and you might shake your head. It might not look like the world you grew up in. And you might wonder, God, where are you? And what are you doing? And when are you going to do something about all of, the, all of the loss and all of the heartache and all of the hurt that we see every single day? 
You might see everything that's going on, and you might, you might hate the world in which you live. And what I want to encourage you to do is to relax. God's got this. And he has a plan. And his plan isn't in trouble. His plan hasn't changed. He's bigger than the chaos. He's bigger than the uncertainty. He's got this. Just recognize that he isn't going to operate in our timetable. You might scratch your head and say, but why? And God pulls back the curtain here and he actually tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why hasn't God just blown this up and said, enough already? We're done? It's because still in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of all the horrendous things that our world has to offer on a daily basis, still every single day, People are finding a relationship with Jesus. And there was a time in your life where you needed the patience of God. There was a time in all of our lives where we hadn't yet reached that point, where we recognized our need for salvation. We hadn't recognized our need for redemption through a relationship with Jesus. And in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of that process that God had to take in our lives for us to come to the place where we gave our lives to Him, we needed God's patience, and we were thankful for them. So as people that follow Jesus, we can't, we can't lose sight of the fact that we have needed God's patience in our lives. And it is that same patience that God extended to us that He still extends. And this is the heartbeat of God. That every single person would choose a relationship with Him. That's why our mission at Lakeside is to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from Him. Because this is the heartbeat of our God. He wants everyone to follow Him. And without apology, we believe that every single person would live a better, more fulfilling life if they would follow Jesus. Because we were all created to have a relationship with our Creator. And our rebellion messed that up. But anything we do and anything we accomplish, apart from having a relationship with our Creator, will not lead to ultimate fulfillment. Because there is a void in our lives. This is the reason we were created. And so without apology, we want every single person to encounter and experience what it's like to have a relationship with God. But our work is not just in helping people discover a relationship with Jesus. Our work then is not done. Because what we find is that we are to live lives that please and honor God. That our lives need to look more and more like Him and less and less like ourselves. And so this is where helping people move one step closer to Jesus comes in. For people that have already made the decision to follow after God. That we want your life to look more and more like God. We want you to have more joy. We want you to have more peace. We want you to have more love. And here's the crazy thing. That the closer and closer you get to Jesus, you recognize the further and further you have to go. Our work is never done. 
and the same patience that are on display universally are encountered by us individually. When God patiently moves us to a relationship with Him, but then also to help us grow closer and closer to Him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, the day of the Lord is a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament prophecy, also in some New Testament prophecy, and ultimately what the day of the Lord's referring to is when God ushers in his final kingdom. Once and forevermore, God rules and reigns. It is a theocracy. God is in charge. He's in control. We worship him. We are together with him. Gone is any suffering. Gone Gone is any sadness, gone is any death, gone is any disease or any loss. Everything is restored to the way God originally designed and created it to be. And we will live and serve and worship him forevermore in a new heaven and a new earth. All evil is accounted for. All evil is exposed goes on, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What? Like, so the picture that, that Peter has just painted for us sounds like a, a nuclear explosion's going off. That the, that the heavens are they're just going to burst and the bodies are going to they're going to melt and, and burn. And I don't know about you, but I've never, I have never sat and thought to myself, you know what would be really great today? Large-scale nuclear warfare. You know why I've never saw, sat and thought, wow, that would be fantastic today? Because I'm not a psychopath. That's why. Because only a psychopath would sit back and think, it'd be really great to just see some full-scale nuclear war going off today. But that's what it sounds like here. And catch this. Peter says, this is hopeful. How in the world is this hopeful? Is this just because Peter and God are, are some kind of sadistic tandem? What? How can this be hopeful for us? That, that the heavens will burn and bodies will melt away. And the reason this can be hopeful for us is because this signifies the end of everything as it wasn't originally designed to be. That God is creating a new heaven. He's creating a new earth. We will have new bodies. We will no longer be bound by limitations. We will no longer every single day be closer to the death than the day before when we woke up, that gone is all of that, gone is all sickness and all sadness, and God burns it up so that he can usher in perfection and everything as it was originally designed to be. He says, if you follow Jesus, this is your hope. That you don't fear this, but you long for it. You long for it because this is when everything is made as it was originally designed to be. And what is our response now? That we long for this, but also we remember. We remember what's to come. We remember what we live for. That, we, that our lives are godly and holy. 
that we make choices that honor and please God, not to earn our salvation, not to, not to earn not to earn forgiveness. We've already been forgiven. We've already been saved, but we do it in response to the God who has saved us. Make your life matter with eternal pursuits because right here we've seen all all evil and all worthless endeavors are burned up and they're gone. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Live a life to honor God and count the patience of our Lord of salvation just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Is that not one of the richest things Peter ever wrote? Like Peter's like, hey, remember Paul? Hey, Paul wrote some really confusing things. Oh, really, Peter? Really? You just set the scene of like a nuclear holocaust here. But Paul's the guy that's written some things that are hard to understand. I just love that. I just love that he just throws Paul under the bus like, yeah, I mean, Paul's written some really great things, but they're kind of hard to understand. Right after he's gotten done talking about the heavens bursting and heavenly bodies melting with fire. So, but hey, Paul's difficult to understand. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures what do we do with all this? Here's what we do. The patience of our Lord of salvation. Don't begrudge the fact that God is taking so long. Don't you dare let yourself get to the place where because you follow Jesus and you look at the world on display around you and you hate what you see, get to the point where you're just like, God, just be done with it. But instead, remember the patience that God has shown you. Remember the patience and remember the reason for his patience, because God loves everyone. And his desire is that every single person would follow him. Let's celebrate the fact that God is still at work. Let's celebrate the fact that God is still saving people. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What's the challenge for us? The challenge for us is not to lose sight. Not to lose sight of what God has done for us. Not to lose sight of what God wants to do in our lives. To not grow weary. Though we may not like, though we may not understand everything we see on display around us. Not grow weary. Instead, that we as people that follow Jesus would grow in grace and knowledge of him. That we would grow closer and closer to Jesus. And our knowledge of him would increase. This is the challenge for us. This is the life that God has called us to as we follow him. God, I pray that we would be people who remember the work you've done in our hearts and in our lives. And with anticipation, we look forward to the day where we will be with you once and for all. And everything will be restored, that there will be no more anger, there will be no more rage, there will be no more hate, there will be no more death, there will be no more destruction. But in order to get to that day, you will destroy everything that isn't as you originally designed it to be. But that we can look forward to that destruction 
and experience the fullness of what you've called us. And in anticipation of that, God, help us remember the patience that you've shown us in our lives. Let us remember your desires that all people would follow you. It is with hope and humility we remember who you are and what you've done. God, I pray for the person here. I pray for the person watching the stream that doesn't have that hope today. I pray for the person that's depending upon themselves, their own accomplishments, their own achievements. And I pray today would be the day that they recognize their dependency upon you. And in the quietness of this moment, in the quietness of their heart, right now would be the moment that they make the decision to give their lives to you. Recognizing that you sent your son Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, that he paid the price, he paid the penalty for our mistakes, he paid the price and penalty for our sin that we could not pay because he was perfect and we are not. And so he took our place. He died upon a cross and three days later rose again, proving he was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And I pray right now would be the moment that people place their faith and trust those of us that have Jesus I pray that our lives would be full of grace and we would celebrate your patience instead of begrudging them and we would ask you to work work in us individually, work in us as a church corporately that we would see lives transformed and people changed